0: I've titled the sermon, How to Hurry Up and Receive the Gift of Patience. <laughs> I want to start in the period after World War II. After World War II, you know, pardon the pun, but the aviation sector was starting to take off again. You know, If you think of World War II, uh, you've got all these pilots, yep, they're out of a job now, they're no longer in World War II. And so all they've got all this spare time. There's all of these uh, surplus military aircraft. So what do you think is going to happen in Australia? Plane, pilot, let's fly, yeah? And so after World War II, tremendous amount of um, you know, aviation happening across Australia. But it was all propeller-driven. Now, one of the brilliant inventions that came out of the UK at the time thing was in 1950 1951 was the Comet aircraft the Comet aircraft was the the first jet airline wonderful invention you yes, had jets in in world war II, but they had jets this was a jet airliner to carry people nowadays you know, doesn't matter you know it's seems significant hop on a jet star jet and fly across to adelaide or you know fly to singapore or wherever don't but, you know, it's commonplace back then. Really big thing. And so, in 1953, this Comet aircraft was making its way from the UK to Australia, and it crashed. A lot of soul searching. A lot of what is happening here. And so in 1953, yes, there's a series of meetings, but there's one particular meeting. And in this meeting is this bloke by the name of David Warren, a scientist, 28 years old. He's in this meeting with some other senior civil aviation people, some other scientists, all this sort of stuff. And David's in this meeting, listening to all of this stuff which is going on, And he has this insight, this scientist insight, we don't have enough data. The people who can actually tell us about what happened in the crash, they're no longer with us. So out of that meeting, he thought, what we're going to do here is I think we, we need some sort of recorder. So he invented this black box flight recorder out of that meeting, 1953. So he spent a bit of time, put some ideas together, and in 1954, he presented this idea to his boss. And the boss
1: said, nah, sorry, don't need it.
0: And this is where patience comes in, because for the next three years, until a new boss came along, for the next three years, here's David in his workshop, in his garage at home, making the very... First, you know, flight recorder for domestic purposes. Can you imagine what happened in that garage at home? You know, what does a flight box recorder do? It's meant to, you know, survive an impact. Yeah. So here's David and wondering what the neighbours are doing. He's making this flight recorder. What's he doing? He's smashing it and crashing it. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably going out to shops. How do you, you know, the the flight recorder, what a flight recorder does, it measures air pressure. It measures speed. So what does David do to measure speed? Does he whirl things around like this and hopefully, you know, it gets recorded? Yeah, does he blow into it to increase the air pressure? And not only has he got to record this data, he's actually got to get it out. And so for three years with patience, with setbacks, with all these things, David is working on this black box fight recorder, gets a new boss, 1957, and he says to the new boss, hey, I've got this idea. What does the boss say? Great. Here's 600 pounds. Go work on it. 600 pounds in today's money, $24,000. David says, you beauty... (coughs) Not only that, a few months later, some British civil aviation toff comes out from the UK, uh, talks to David's boss, and David's boss says, David, show this British toff, you know, this invention. The British toff says, great, this is excellent. Let's get it into production. 1962, you know, right there in the early stages, still people in Australia were saying, "Ah, we don't need this, 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 is, this is pointless. But one thing led to another, and in 1967, Australia was the first country on earth to say, look, every every commercial airline needs to have a black box flight recorder. It took patience on David's part. He knew it was the right thing to do. He put his own time, put his own effort, put his own resources into it. Eventually, there was a reward, and his idea became a key part of aviation patience despite technical setbacks despite what others said despite the lack of support david knew that some things take time david was patient galatians 5:22 23 says this is our foundation scripture for this morning but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience Kindness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self control. There is no law against such. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, is patience. It's not fruits. A bit of a discussion here, theological discussion, but it is fruit. If you think about an orange, it's got an orange peel. That's a characteristic of an orange, yeah? It's got, you know, the, the, the peel might be thick or it might be thin. There might be lots of dimples. You open it up and you've got all these pasties. Some oranges are more juicy, others are not so juicy. All these different characteristics. The characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, patience. Some Bibles, instead of patience, they've got the word endurance, constancy, forbearance, fortitude, long-suffering, perseverance, steadfastness. In our English dictionary, patience means this. It's the capacity to accept delay and problems without getting annoyed or anxious. The capacity to accept delay and problems without getting annoyed or anxious. In English, the, the, our word "patience," exactly as it means, it comes from that the patient in hospital. You know, here is someone who's in hospital suffering. Yeah, here is someone who was. You know, you, we're being patient. Patience and suffering. When these words come up, one Bible story stands out, doesn't it? Yeah? Job. The patience of Job. I think it's James who says it's the the patience of Job. And so what can we learn about patience from Job? Well, Job was this godly man who went through this pitiable series of events. Yeah? Just... It's like goodness me. He was wealthy. He had ten children, thousands of sheep and camels, he had hundreds of oxen and donkeys, many servants. He was billed in the book of Job as the greatest man in the East. He is prominent. You know, who do we who do we see as see as prominent nowadays? Let's get a modern day, you know, <laughs> equivalent. Yeah, it might be you know, some politician, or it might be some businessman, it might be some prominent sportsman. You know, Let's take a business, it might be Solomon Liu, uh, uh, was it Mike Cannon Brooks from Atlassian, or perhaps if we go further afield to the US, say Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. In the East, here is, the, here is this prominent man. And what happens to Job. What happens to this prominent man that everybody everybody knows? What happens to him? We read of cattle being stolen and servants being murdered. We hear of lightning killing his animals and his servants. We hear of a great wind uh, destroying a family house and it collapsed and killing all of his children. And then we read of this painful skin disease you know, from the toes to the top of his head, this painful. And we've had this picture of Job, and here's Job. And we can pick up the story here, and here's Job. And he's sitting amongst all his ruins. And he's just picking. There's nothing left. Here's this prominent man. Nothing left. Yes, his wife has said, just curse God and die. He's got that ringing in his ears. We can take from later in Job that all of his friends and acquaintances come back to him. In that moment, they're all leaving him. Here he is, just here, just feeling miserable. Everything's in devastation. Everyone is, you know what it's like when someone, you know, there's something really bad happened and everybody just, you know, (laughs) steps away. It's like ooh, I don't want to be around that person, yeah? That's what's happened to Job. And it's not just any Joe Blow on the street. It's, the, it's someone prominent. Everybody knows about this. And amongst this, you've got these three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. You know, here's Job. Here's everybody. And they come up to Job. And what do they do?
1: They just, you know, their jaws are on the floor. My goodness me. What's happened? Yeah? <laughs> yeah, it's just... And they're at a loss for words. Eventually,
0: they get the courage to say some things to to Job. They begin to reflect. They see the situation. They see the, the people which have departed the scene. What is it? Eliphaz, say, it's recorded in Job 4.7. Eliphaz the Temanite said this, Were the upright ever destroyed? He is blaming Job for not being whole enough for his predicament. Job, this is your fault. All this has happened because you're not whole enough. He goes on in chapter 15, verse 13. You vent your rage against God. He is blaming Job. For being mad at God. All this has happened because you were mad at God. 22 verse 5. Is not your wickedness great? Are not your sins endless? Eliphaz says. He's accusing Job, widely recognised as being righteous, as being full of sin. He's saying, okay, just scratch underneath the surface and full of blackness and horror. Isn't this what we think about when things don't work out? When we are sick? When bad things happen around us? We think we aren't holy. We think that we've sinned. That we that we don't respect God. That we've been. That... Yeah, you go on through the rest of what uh, the Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar are saying. There's a lot of repetition, but Bildad is recorded in chapter 5, 6 about uh, equating the dwellings and righteousness and prosperous. And he's saying that Job's state is linked to his righteousness. The more righteous you are, the more possessions you have. The more righteous, the more possessions. And ipso facto, no possessions, not righteous. Zophar in 11, 6 says, God has exacted less of you than you deserve. (laughs) Hey, Joe, look at all this. All this that happened, you missed a bullet. God was really mad. Could have been a whole lot worse. Aren't these some of the thoughts that swirl around in our head? Aren't these some of the counsel? that people give us when we're going through things? That we aren't seen to be upright or whole enough? That we don't respect God enough? That we have sinned? That our prosperity in this world is linked to our relationship with God? That that even though God is mad at us, we somehow get off lightly? You know, some examples of suffering. Times where we... um, our patience is tried. We've applied for, without success, for heaps of jobs. And our response can be, well, I'm missing out because I haven't read my Bible enough. You know, I've prayed and I'm not healed yet. Well, it must be because I've sinned. This relationship, this family matter is causing grief. Well, it's happening because I must have said bad things about God it seems that i'm always repairing my house my car i'm getting holes in my clothes it's think my my possessions it's just not working out well must be because i'm not right with god it's like we have replaced our job with ourselves and then we have this period of suffering this period where our patience is tried and it's almost like we have these three friends of Job. We have Bildad and, uh, and Zophar and, and Eliphaz just sitting on our head and sitting on us. <laughs> what's interesting at the end of Job, here's God the judge casting judgment on what's happened. Basically tells off Job. He tells off the three Friends, But he doesn't tell off this, this fourth one, this Elihu, that I'm about to go into. Because what unlocks the story of Job for me is Elihu. Elihu is a younger man. He's sitting there listening to Job. You can imagine here. Yes, in the early part, we just read of these three, these three friends. But in the background... You know, just listening to this is Elihu.
1: He's listening to the back and forth.
0: He's listening to, okay, Job said this and that. Uh, and Elihu is this, uh, he's, he's in tune with God. And as he's listening to all this stuff is, that is happening, and he's listening, God is starting to stir in him. There's something which is happening deep within him. And finally, chapter 32, verses 10 and 11. Eli who says, I have waited and listening to your reasoning. Now listen to me. You three older blokes and Job, you've said what you said. I've been listening. God has been stirring within me. I've been waiting patiently. I've been respecting what you've had to say. Now listen to me. 32, 18 and 19, Elihu says, I am full of word. The spirit presses me. My heart is bursting. He's listening there. He can see this go on. He can see that what they're saying is wrong. They're misrepresenting God. They're misrepresenting the whole situation. He's there. He's he's bursting and waiting. But he's just being, he's respecting the other people around him. Okay, he's saying, they finished. God has got something on my heart. To speak into this situation, it's part of what drove Elihu's 32 verse 3. The three friends had condemned Job. They accused Job of wrong. They were saying that it was all Job's fault. But what did Elihu say? 33.9 Elihu says, Job, you said, I am pure without transgression. There is a difference between saying that you are right and recognizing that you could be wrong. The former is based on pride. I am righteous. The latter is based on humility. 34.12, Elihu says, God will not do wickedly. God will not do wickedly. Neither will he pervert justice. In all things, we need to see God as good. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. And 35.13, uh, Elihu also says, God will not hear vanity. God will not hear vanity. In those moments, uh, Elihu was saying, are you coming to God with a stiff neck or are you coming before him with a humble heart? Two personal perspectives, two, two personal anecdotes rather, two Personal stories that bring to bear here about thirty years ago, I'm not going to go into all the details, but about thirty years ago, all was going wrong for me. Things were being taken off me, things were just not working out correctly. It was a lot of a lot of turmoil, a lot of stressing, a lot of tearing, a lot of It was a breaking, it was a a horrible period in my life. Losing things, my patience was tested, but I was operating out of
1: pride. The breakthrough in this period
0: for me was Psalm 51 verse 17. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The period of suffering for me that was quite intense began to lift once I recognised that I'm operating out of pride, that I need to have a broken and a contrite heart before God, and he would not despise that. Another anecdote on this on this reason for a period of patience is what also Elihu says that in 3626 God is great, and we do not know Him. God is great, and we do not know Him. You know, another personal anecdote here is many of you know, some of you know that our middle son has back problems, severe back problems. So here's his six foot three, you know, chunk of a bloke, muscular, you know, leap tall buildings in a single mound sort of fella. That, oh, you want that uh, refrigerator over there? Just let me pick it up and shift it and move it and put it there. Ha, huh, done. Is that good, Dad? That sort of fella. Yeah back injury at work. Now, oh, oh,
1: yep, look, just let me make it that. I'll be over soon. He's suffering.
0: We're suffering. We have prayed. We have fasted. We have sought God, God, that you would bring healing to our son. But we keep, I and Helen, and we, we keep coming back to Psalm 107. God is good. <laughs> Isaiah 55, we come back to God's ways are higher than ours.
1: Let's go back to Galatians 5.
0: There is a link between Galatians 5, fruit, and Job. And that link is time. What joins Job and Galatians 5 together? That word patience has got something to do with time. It takes time to wait for something. It took time for Job to build all that wealth. And it took time for all the things that happened to him. And it took time for all those conversations with those three friends and with Elihu. And that's the same thing about growing fruit. It takes time. Yeah? It takes time to pass through the seasons. Now, I know Master Gardener, you know, you know, for a while there early in our marriage, well, if it's meant to survive in the garden, it'll survive all by itself. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah, we've learned a little bit since then. I'm continually I've told a few people I'm continually amazed that if you just water stuff, <laughs> you feed stuff, <laughs> it grows. <laughs> you know, uh, in my backyard... You know, in, in our backyard, uh, you know, we've got a lemon tree, you know, we've got a mandarin tree, which we love, but also the possums love, you know. Here early in the season, oh, look at all this fruit and it's starting to grow. And then I come out one morning and what's starting to turn orange is, you know, on the floor of <laughs> being bitten by, eaten by the possums. Got a cherry tree, a neglected fig tree, a sadly neglected granny apple smith tree. Yeah, and a well-tended Fuji apple tree. <laughs> My wife's favourite. I, I, I need to look after the Fuji apple tree. Anyway, uh, what amazes me, and it continually, it, it's like I just have to look after this tree. <laughs> yeah? yeah. Just some, feed it, water it, prune it, and if there's some bugs, yeah, unnecessary bugs, you know, spray it off. Last year we got... I don't know, four, five washing baskets full of apples off it. This year too. Hopefully next year we'll get six or seven off it. So it's been good. But it's time, this with fruit. And I'm linking this back to Galatians 5 and the, and the, the idea there of fruit. It takes time. Right now, here I'm sitting in my office looking out the Fuji apple tree and the leaves are turning from green to yellow. A few weeks, yeah, they'll be all on the ground. Another few weeks after that, after I do a bit of you know, a bit of pruning, then there'll be some buds. Yeah, be some flowers and that. Summer, it'll grow. During this period, I've got some trees around the backyard, and there's all these parakeets sitting there. Oh, look at that! Got got some uh, lovely fruit uh, for me later on. And that's the thing about fruit. It takes time to grow. And the fruit that grows has various characteristics. Yeah? Mentioned oranges at the start, but you know, Fuji apples. Have a look at some of them. But they're this big, I'm quite pleased, they're as big as that. But there's some green and you know, red on them. Open them up, they're tasty, they're crisp, quite lovely, quite tasty. Like the fruit that my apple tree grows, the fruit that the spirit grows in us has various characteristics. Yeah. This growth happens in us, in people who have allowed the spirit of God to be planted in their heart. Yeah. And look at the characteristics of the fruit that grows. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. One of the aspects, one of the characteristics of that fruit is patience. Endurance grows in us. Constancy grows in us. Forbearance grows in us. Fortitude, long-suffering, perseverance, steadfastness. And it's interesting when you do a a little bit of digging. You know, I old folks who have been doing a little bit of digging and doing a bit of nerding out on the, uh, on the original Hebrew and the, and the original uh, Jeremy earlier, uh, and me, the original, uh, in the Greek with this. The idea in this word patience is the fuse of a bomb. Yeah? So you know what happens with a fuse and a bomb? <laughs> like the fuse, you've seen the movies. Like the fuse, and things happen. Yeah? That's the idea here with this word patience. And so here's us, here's patience, here's this idea of this fuse and this explosion. Two perspectives. First perspective so was some of us look at this and say... Barrr! Yeah? <laughs> So Proverbs 14, 29. He who is slow to anger is of great understanding. He who is hasty of spirit exalts folly. Yeah? And so, yeah, that's where self control comes in. Yes, we can, if you will, have a self controlled explosion. Yeah, you know, there's that perspective. The other way we approach this is this.
1: And we just wait patiently. It's more of a passive thing. Just waiting and waiting and waiting. Yeah?
0: I'm just going to be passive about this. Well, Isaiah 40, says this. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Yeah, And we quote this, we breathe in, I'm waiting, God's going to renew my strength. Yeah, <laughs> That word wait, when you look at it in the Hebrew, it has to do with being bound up in the purposes of God. So during this period of time, we need to be bound up in the purposes of God. During this time where, where our patience is being tested, we need to be bound up in the purposes of God. Are you waiting on him? Are you serving him? You know, being patient is not sitting back and waiting for what it is you are waiting for. It is leaning in and being involved in what God is doing. Yeah, being involved, coming to church, <laughs> telling people about God, praying, reading your Bible, giving, all that sort of stuff, helping others, you know, the whole thing. It's being bound up in the purposes of God. Let's wrap this all up and come to a conclusion. At the start, I posed a question, how to hurry up and receive the gift of patience? Well, it's a bit of a silly question, (laughs) really, because it takes time to develop patience. It takes the spirit of God moving. But what we've seen, that in order for patience to be a part of who we are, we need to let God in and let the spirit have his way in our heart. Yeah? Yeah? Patience is but one outcome. We need to recognize that God is God. In that situation, we need to recognize that God is God, that He is good, and that He knows what He is doing. And the third thing is, we need to have a soft heart toward God. Yeah? You know, we know how the story of Job worked out, that there is hope. There was restoration. There was blessing. Through it all, somehow, Job, however poorly, kept his eye on God. He didn't know what the end would be like, but he did say there in Job that he would trust God. As we wrap up, also, there's one piece of the David Warren story to add. It's David Warren and the black box. David's father was a pastor, minister. And so in 1934 the plan was for David's dad, the minister, to go down to Tassie. Yeah. Get the church set up, get what was happening down there in Tassie, get that happening okay, and then the family to follow on after. Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> set it up, get the congregation happening, whatever there was, you know, check out the schools, you know. Couldn't set up the phone because they didn't have phones back in 1934. You know, all that sort of stuff. That was the plan. And then once all that was done, wife and the kids hop on the boat in Sydney, go down the coast, be there. On that flight from Sydney to Hobart, plane crashed. No one survived.
1: No doubt that event, that
0: flight, what happened to David's dad? No doubt that had an impact on him developing that black box recorder. Yeah? David saw the bigger picture. Yeah? David saw, okay, despite all of this, here's the bigger picture. I want things to be safer. So just like David Warren kept his eye on uh, his bigger picture through his trials, so we should keep our heart fixed on God throughout ours. How do we see patience developed in us and fully realise the hope that awaits us? These three things. Recognise in all situations that God is good. That he knows what he is doing. Secondly, we need to be bound up in the purposes of God. And thirdly, we need to have a Soft heart toward God. Yeah. I'll leave you with this. <clears throat> Tertullian, who was a prolific and influential Christian writer of his time, he lived about 150 years after the New Testament written and was written, he said this. He said, Hope is patience with the lamp lit. Yeah? Going through dark times, is your patience being tested? You know, is there... What, what, whatever... You know on your side of the fence what's happening. Hope is patience with the lamp lit in that situation. Recognise in all situations that God is good, that he knows what he is doing, that we need to be bound up in the purposes of God, and we need to have a soft heart toward God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
1: we're thankful this morning that you are God that you are good and that you know all things. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, God. Lord, with a soft heart, broken and contrite heart, you say, God, you will not despise. Lord, we humbly again. give over our lives and recognize you in our lives again this morning.
0: And just, amen, and just in this state, if you just want to remain where you are just for a a period of reflection, if you've got some business to do with God, if you've got some decisions to make, if you've got some questions you have of God, if you just want to spend a time in prayer, we're just going to have... Uh, Pete and Lola sing.
1: Have some music there. Heavenly Father, let's pray.
0: Hallelujah.